0: Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
1: I'd like to carry that theme of what love is this. I know there's always that tension between if God is all loving Is he not all-powerful too? And yes, he is. But if he's all-loving and not powerful, then why do we have what we have going on in the world? And if he's all-powerful and not loving, why is it so bad in the world? Well, today I'd like to really speak about the love of God, especially as it relates around the resurrection, but also around the concept of miracles and those of you that might have doubts. I don't know whether you're listening on the radio or on the internet or maybe even here today or getting a copy of our CD but it would not surprise me that all of us from time to time regarding this whole Christianity thing and Jesus Christ, that when our head goes on the pillow at night after we've gone through a really, really rough day and maybe we've gotten some very, very difficult news, that we begin to doubt, is this really real and could some other group or religion be right and we're not? And we would never voice that, but it might then come back into our mind from time to time. And probably if there was ever an area that we might really doubt the veracity, and that would be in the areas of miracles. You know, when I ask people about it, I usually say, do you believe in miracles? I mean the old-fashioned, honest-to-goodness miracles of God. And sometimes I get an answer, yeah, I, I kind of believe in that. Well, there's probably no better miracle to believe than Jesus Christ died and He was completely dead, 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 and He came back to life again. That's called the resurrection and the ascension after that. So that's a miracle. Some of you might hesitate a little bit about miracles when I say, well, do you really believe in miracles? You might say, well, I kind of believe in miracles. Life is all about it. Life is a miracle. Some of you, you might define a miracle as if maybe uh, the Chicago Cubs would win a World Series. You'd say, that's a miracle. Those of you that follow baseball know what I mean. Well, I'm not talking about those times in life where that we might have those surprising events after a period of time, or maybe one of those times that it's a long shot for a victory and that becomes a miracle. I'm talking about a biblical miracle, a a biblical proportions. That kind of miracle is something that goes way beyond a human ability to ever be able to orchestrate it, no matter what he has in a natural world, something that is so huge it had to happen that we cannot fully understand it nor explain it. Now, that would be difficult for us to believe. Those are not very much in the Bible. There are miracles in there, but not everyday occurrences in the Bible, but they do occur. Now, some of you, when you hear that, you might say, you know, I I do sometimes question the about the resurrection and I I believe it because it says it but sometimes I think how in the world did he really do that? How can someone really that dead come back to life and be alive forevermore and we have Christianity because of it? Well I want you to know you really are in good company and so when we talk about love and that God loves the world I want to make a little statement here especially to you doubters. God loves you doubters. I don't want you to think he's mad or angry with you that he really does love doubters. He knows that everything has got to rise and fall on faith in him, and he knows that we struggle with a lot of that, and it happens to be regarding our doubts. So we're in good company. In fact, if you go back to the time when Jesus Christ rose from the dead, there were a lot of folks that doubted that he even did that. You'd be in company with James and John and Peter, Bartholomew, Simon the Zealot, And, of course, the namesake of all would be Thomas, who has been known as whom? Doubting Thomas, his namesake. So some of you might have heard of him being Thomas, and we refer to him as Doubting Thomas, but we often don't know much about his life. And I would like to show you the love of God as it's used in the life of Thomas and how that we can relate to that when we might have doubts in our own walk with God or even the question of the resurrection. There's not a lot written in Scripture about Thomas. There's some from church history and maybe some secular history, but we don't know a lot about Thomas. We know a little bit. There's a couple of statements that he makes before the resurrection, but not a lot, just a little bit. We do know this, that his name is Didymus. If you look in Scripture, it says, but Thomas, one of the twelve. So he happened to be one of the twelve disciples or apostles. He was called Didymus. That word Didymus means twin, and I studied as much as I could to find out, okay, name means twin. So he must have had a twin. Did he have a twin sister? Couldn't find anything. Did he have a twin brother? Couldn't find anything, but he was twin. Was the twin still alive or did it die? Maybe there was just one of the twin left. One writer even said it could be Matthew. Now, for the life of me, I don't know how they picked out Matthew. All we know is that his name means twin. So I don't want you to spend a whole lot of time trying to figure that out because for some reason, God has not chosen to let us know other than his name means twin. There's a lot more about Thomas that is significant in understanding the Lord and his love for us. Like I said, he often gets a bad rap because he's known as Doubting Thomas, but that's not always the case. Let me tell you one of the early explanations and scripture about the man, Thomas. Most of you have heard that in a little tiny town of Bethany, a suburb of Jerusalem, which is like New Anu, a suburb of Honolulu, that far apart, they had a good friend by the name of Lazarus. And you recall, Lazarus died, and there was a lot of petitions for Jesus to come, 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 you've got to get to, to Lazarus. Well, Jesus and his buddies were pretty far away. In fact, they were all the way down in Jericho. Now, how far is Jericho from Bethany? about as far as Wahia would be from Nu'uanu. That's about how far apart they were in this particular area. So Jesus said he's going to go. There was a lot of pushback against Jesus for going, and rightly so, because they remember that Jesus, when he's around Jerusalem, they sought to kill him and stone him and a whole lot of other bad stuff that was going on. So they were saying, hey, you don't want to do that. And so all these guys were in there chit-chat and trying to hold the Lord back, perhaps, from doing this. But Jesus was said, I'm going to Bethany, and he needed to get to Jerusalem, and that's all part of the process. And you would usually think that it would be Peter, the guy who is the spokesman for all the apostles. We talk about him in Scripture, but it was really not Peter, but it was Thomas who spoke. So there must have been a level of faith or courage in him. If you will look what it says in John chapter 11, verse 16, it says, Let us, meaning the other guys, also go with Jesus, so that we may die with him. Now, if you would, you might want to circle the phrase that we may die with him. That tells me a tremendous amount of respect and willing to be associated with Christ even to the point of death. When I looked at that, it could have said, let us also go so that we could be with him. That would have satisfied. Yeah, we're going to see what happens to Jesus. Let's see what he does. He's going. We don't want to be here in Jericho by ourselves, so let's go too. He didn't say that. He said, let us go that we may die with him. So there was a degree of commitment too. I believe, the message that Christ was giving out, the person who of Christ was, and that whatever Christ is, he had to be that important, and we wanted to be a part of his cause, and perhaps even person. So he said, let us all go. And then you could read what else happened after that. So that's the basic first time he's mentioned. Well, let's fast forward that a little bit, because Thomas is perhaps a little bit like a lot of us who are doubters. Those that doubt sometimes are willing to challenge by asking questions or to probe a little bit. They're maybe a little bit more analytical. So I like to call Thomas as not only being courageous, but he becomes a critical thinker or more of an analyst. So now here's what's happening more towards the end of the life of Jesus. It was probably on a Thursday. He was on an up he was in the upper room. He had a time together, taught him about loving one another, washing of the feet. And then, if you recall, Judas heads out to do his dirty deed, and Jesus is right there, and he's speaking to them. And here's what he says in John chapter 14, and you can follow along, a very familiar passage of Scripture in which Thomas again is found. It goes like this. Jesus says, knowing his end will come, crucifixion, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwellings, If it were not so, I would have told you. For I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I'm going. Well, I can only imagine he's in this monologue. Jesus is giving this discourse. And all of a sudden, Thomas couldn't stand it any longer like some people that have a lot of questions. They just got to pop up that hand right away. They just got to shout out that question. But what about... So Thomas blurts out in the middle of this monologue as he's sharing this with his disciples. He says this. He says, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How do we know the way? Basically, he's saying, I really don't understand. What is this gobbledygook about coming and going and all this stuff? We don't really have a full picture of this thing. And it's so neat because, remember our theme now, welcome all doubters. Because Jesus loves doubters. He didn't rebuke him. He didn't say, Hey, be quiet. I'm not finished yet. You can ask your questions later when I'm all finished with my presentation. He didn't do that. He knew this, and teachers, this might be a little lesson for you, that if someone has a question, you want them to ask it because if they don't ask it right then, they generally are shutting down from the rest of what you're presenting until that question could be answered in their mind. Usually critical thinkers are like that. They're not ready to accept more until they get this taken care of. And Jesus, who is God and wise and knows all things, stopped right then. And I like this. He says, you really do know the way. You know the way because, now look at verse 6. He says, you know the way because I am the way that we're talking about. I am the truth and the light. And no one comes to the Father but through me. Well, those are the two times that Thomas is mentioned early in the study here of the life of Christ before the crucifixion. Now what's important is to come to the pinnacle of what was going on That would cause Thomas to almost shut down and have a meltdown to say, Oh, I don't believe it unless I can touch this and put my finger into that and know what's going on. What made him basically shut down? I would like to say that we would be very much like him as well. If you could picture with me what it had been like living in those days, we follow Christ, we see what he has done as far as miracles. We saw that he'd healed people, fed people, we were participants, we received some of the benefits of his miracles. We, we saw that he was a person of integrity. Everything he claimed to be, he was. We also saw the conflict of the people around him. And we're following him. And then in there, this is veiled. I'm going to die and I'm going to come back again three days. Just like Jonah and all this stuff. We're kind of hearing all that. But yeah, 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 yeah. So all of a sudden, now, we're on Easter. Well, let me back it up. We're three days before. And we're watching the person that we have followed for nine to three years do all of this stuff. And now we're watching him go through a kangaroo trial. We're watching him being beat, whipped, spit on. His body is just shredded. We then watch him as being... He's laid on a cross as an innocent person, pure, perfect person. His hands and feet are being pierced, writhing in pain, lifted up. The cross drops into a a hole that was prepared to support the cross. We see all of that. We watch the other criminals on each side. We're seeing what's happening from afar. And then we watch the one we have followed, our best friend, the one we were willing to go die with, literally die. Then we watch to make sure that he was dead as the soldier takes the sword and thrusts it in the side. I mean, he is dead, 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 dead. Then we watch this. Here, Here it is. They're taking him down now. They're putting a little bit of spices on him, but there's a lot of commotion going on, a lot of things happening, and so they quickly usher the body off and they put it in some tomb and they roll this big stone like a boulder, not a little rock, it's a big boulder. They station guards there to make sure that this person stays dead and that nothing could happen around it that would perhaps make people believe that there's some kind of a resurrection that goes on. I don't know, but it could be very difficult if you've seen a loved one die right in front of you. And perhaps, and I say this as cautiously, as tenderly as I can, even had a pet die in front of you. It's a a horrible thing. And so now this is all going on at the time, and there's a lot of people that are watching this. And of course they would doubt. Three days later, you're starting to get word back. You end up going to the tomb, and as you go to the tomb, you see something that's really strange, that boulders roll back. You see something strange... This dead body that he's not in there. And you start thinking, your mind starts thinking. Well, maybe someone came and stole the body away. Well, they couldn't do that because they couldn't get past the guards. Because if they got past the guards and they got the body away, they'd have to overpower the guards and the guards would lose their life. But they're around and they didn't. And that's maybe the guards did it. No, they'd lose their life for losing the body and have no, it couldn't be done. Well, maybe it was, maybe it was. The other guys had enough money to hire somebody to do all of this. No, they're just poor fishermen. They can't. Well, well maybe Jesus really didn't die. We, just, we saw the blood. We saw all this stuff. But maybe he just was so unconscious from the pain and the suffering that in the coolness and the darkness of that damp tomb, he kind of came to life. And, and he somehow pushed the rock forward and sideways. And he got out and he ran off. So, no, that, that doesn't make a bit of sense. We saw him. He was dead, 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 dead in this thing. So now they're all there. What in the world is happening? And so now we go back to the Gospels because each Gospel reports on some of these things that are happening and they all talk about capturing the moment about the doubters who were present when Jesus Christ was gone. I wrote it for you in your worship folder. Would you look at it for just a moment? This way you can see what that group of doubting perhaps looked like as these different ones were responding to this. Basically, they said it was nonsense. Mark says that even after the angel explained what happened, they fled the tomb trembling and afraid, basically not believing. What in the world is going on? John says that Mary thought someone had stolen the body, and we know that couldn't happen. And Luke adds that when the women came and told the apostles what the angel had said, the apostles, the ones that were really with them all the time, not just all these other women, they did not believe the women because their words seemed like nonsense. Now, may I just pause for a moment? We're on this side of this true story and we're saying there's enough proof there for me to have to believe this. But if we lived at that time, would we really, really, really believe it? Would you believe it after you saw your loved one dead and then someone told you, no, they're really alive? Wouldn't you doubt? I have to tell you that I probably would have some bit of doubt as well. Mark says, when they heard that he was alive, they refused to believe it. Now let me tell you where Thomas comes into this thing. And I'm going to show you a little bit about doubters and the kind of doubters that there are. Not long, just a little bit. If you have your Bibles, now I'd like you to open them up to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. If you didn't bring a Bible, there perhaps is a Bible that's in your pew rack or under the chair. Or if you want to, just look at the worship folder. We should have it there for you. All right. I mean, in the outline that you have. I want you to look at John chapter 20. When I bring this to you, I need to give you the backstory before I read you the story we have for you. Now, I use the word story. It's not kids like a little story about uh, the little engine that could. This is a real life event. So, let me give you the backstory. So, all of a sudden now, Jesus is, is gone, and they're hearing all this about, no, he's alive. And so everybody's wondering what's going on. So, they're all in this room, so to speak, and they're in this room, and what happens is that Jesus then shows up into this room, in fact, I believe he just kind of made his presence known, he might have walked right through the walls, or somehow he got in there, it's not clear what it says, except he's outside the room, the doors are closed, he's in the room, didn't say anything about opening the door, so he's there now, and he says, look it, I am Jesus, I am alive, and he says, look, you can see the print of my hands, all of this kind of stuff, and it was so cool, because the disciples who were there just went nuts, yes, you are, wow, all that. They believed right then. You're saying, what about Thomas? He wasn't there. Now, I have some questions about that. Where was Thomas? So I'm going to give you Ponsism. Okay, Ponsism means I'm going to do my sanctified imagination. I can't support it. You probably can't refute it. It's just something to consider. One thing we know is that Thomas wasn't there. It's possible because Thomas was courageous. He was a critical thinker that while he was going through his mind and his, his questions were being answered, he was beginning to take this leap of faith to believe Jesus who he claimed to be. And now he sees him dead. He sees his body has gone, maybe. And so now he goes off to his own place to grieve the death of someone which who at one time he was a doubter became a tremendous believer and now the whole story's messed up somehow. And he's trying to make sense of this. When I do funerals, we call them memorial services here on the island. At the end of it, there's a section in there I talk about grieving. And I tell the the audience about the family that grieving in a normal death, when it's not a tragic drama, auto wreck, or some bizarre thing, just a normal health or old age, something like that, it would take, and there's no conflict in the family, it takes about two years to go through a grieving process. I'll tell them you have many bad days and a few good days at the beginning. Then you have a little less bad days and a little more good days. A little less bad days and a lot more glad days. And then pretty soon you have a lot of glad days and a few sad days. So it takes time. But at the beginning of it, there's this raw unbelief. I'll also tell them that people, based on their system or culture, whatever, they grieve differently. Some of you that might go back and think about the culture in New Orleans, when they grieve and they take the body, what do they do? They play all that jazz, don't they? How about those that come from an Irish background? They have that wake, and it's all about drinking and partying in some way. And I'm not putting it down, just think that's how they grieve. Some people, you know, they grieve by getting giddy, or they like to be around people and tell stories. I've, my, my dad's in heaven, my mom's in heaven. I, I grieve perhaps a little bit more like Thomas, and I'm not at all saying I'm Thomas, but I like to cocoon. I, I'm like one like when you have a little cat or a little dog when they get hurt they like to kind of go hide until they get better. When I grieve, I grieve alone. I mean, I appreciate you know everybody talking, but I, I gotta be I gotta I gotta have some time to just by myself. Now, that being said, I think Thomas was going through that period of time, and so now this is where the story comes, and I'd like you to follow along with me, if you will. Just look at it as I read it to you, and I'm going to begin here at verse 19. It says. It says, So when it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and when the the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. And all of a sudden, he showed them his hands and the feet, and the disciples rejoiced. Now drop down to verse 24, which is in your worship folder. But Thomas was one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. We made that point. So the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. I mean, catch that exclamation. We have seen the Lord. So they're trying to rationalize, help him to, feel, to understand what's going on. We've seen him. But he said to them, like a true critical thinker, he wants some empirical truth. Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Now, before I go further with this, please look at Thomas and accept him as being an honest man. He's basically saying, you're telling me the one I believe, he's gone and he's now alive? I can't believe it. Now, let's see if I I can make this illustration, even though we've never fully experienced it. Let's say that one of our pastors here uh, died in a horrible wreck this afternoon. Satan, don't listen to this, all right? But died in that wreck. And I had to call you and tell you that so-and-so died in the wreck. Most of you would say, no, no, I can't believe it. I just saw him. He was just here. He just said, da 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 I can't believe this. Well, are you doubting? Or are you not doubting? Or are you like, it's too much information? I, 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 you know? Now, Thomas did take it, show me the body, so to speak. That's what he's saying, show me the body. And I could understand that. Now, let me come back to you doubters for a second. If you are so far on the outside of the faith and you're at, at, at this resurrection... I, I can't believe you. That, that is so far from me. I'll be honest with you. I cannot provide you the body. I'm not ashamed of that. I'm not embarrassed for that. Sometimes I wish I could because maybe that you would need to see that. I don't know. Other parts of Scripture says even if we did show you all of that, it wouldn't matter. But I can tell you I can't show you the body. But I can give you enough truth... Such as, the veracity of Scripture has been carefully and authentically proven to be trustworthy, inerrant, and infallible. Secondly, in 1 Corinthians 15 it said that over 500 people saw Jesus after he rose again from the dead. Now, when that was written, it was written many years after Jesus was after Jesus resurrected from the dead. And the writer said, yeah, out of those 500 that actually saw him, some have died because of age and time and all of that, but there are still some alive. Now, that is huge because what he's really saying is, I'm going public. There are people that have seen him and there are people that are still alive. So if you don't trust me, let's go ask them. Are we going to call everybody a liar? You can't do that. You won't do that. That's not even accurate. So we had enough proof to prove that this was real. So if you're on that side of it, I understand the struggle that you might have, but there is proof out there if you're willing to at least explore the veracity of that part of it. Now let's go back to this, all right? So now here's what Thomas goes on to say after he hears all of this stuff. He says, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails and I put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. He didn't say he wouldn't believe in Jesus. He just won't believe that he's alive. Verse 26 after eight days, his disciples were again inside, and Thomas was with them. So all of a sudden, the guys are meeting again, but this time, Thomas is there. Je- this is cool. Follow this. This is so huge. Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood in their midst and said, Peace be with you. He did exactly the same thing here as he did eight days earlier. Came into a room when the doors were shut, said the same thing to him to begin with, Peace be with you. Now, That's huge. But now notice what else he says. And by the way, what he said eight days before, he says, here, look at my hands. Look at my the, the nail prints. Now verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, reach here with your finger and see my hands and reach here your hands and put it into my side and do not be unbelieving but believing. Now if you mind, look up here for a second. Do you know that Thomas did not repeat his request to Jesus when Jesus came in? He didn't say, oh, If you really are Jesus, I want to see those hands. I want to touch those nail prints. He didn't say anything. That tells me that what Jesus said eight days earlier, he is all-knowing. He already knew that Thomas was perhaps struggling. For sure he wasn't there. And he knew that when he came in, that Thomas would have those same questions. So before Thomas ever asked the question, he knew that he had the doubts and he looked straight at Thomas. He didn't even talk to the other guys because they already bought into the plan. And he says, Okay, now you, Thomas, you need now to look